This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're wrapping up the start of Arabian Nights by starting and finishing four additional stories. It's like a delicious layered cake of demons threatening to kill people. The creature this time just wants to wash his beans in the river or kill and eat you. Really, whichever is funnier for him. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 82B. Show me what you got. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Previously on the podcast, King Shariar, who we've been calling King Ray, was devastated by his wife's infidelity. But instead of dealing with it in a healthy, non-bloody way, he opted for the murdery route and killed her along with all of his concubines. That, however, led to loneliness. So he resolved to marry again, but in a way no one could ever hurt him. King Ray decided to marry one virgin every night, only to have her executed the next morning so she could never be unfaithful. He went through 1,000 wives before meeting Shahrazad, who told him the story of a demon and a merchant. Cutting the story off right before the demon cut the merchant's head off in retaliation for killing the demon's son. Do you have to kill me? The merchant asked. Yes, replied the demon. But really? The merchant asked. Yes, I'm a demon. It's what we do. Okay, but hear me out. What if you didn't kill me right now, but waited a year? So I had time to say goodbye to everyone I love and put my affairs in order and everything. The merchant bargained. He was a merchant after all. Since we demons are known for being compassionate and reasonable, sure, the demon agreed. Wait a second. How do I know you'll actually come back in a year to die? The demon asked. Uh, because I promised to come back? Scoffed the merchant. The demon thought about it. What type of a world was this where a person couldn't be trusted at their word? He shrugged. Fine. So, after a year of putting his affairs in order and saying one long tearful goodbye after another, the merchant actually returned to the clearing for some reason. And he was early. He set up a small camp, carefully searched the ground for little demon kids to avoid compounding his problems, and stayed the night. The next day, he heard a rustling in the trees nearby. He feared the demon, too, was early. But that's when a guy walked out with a deer on a leash. The merchant asked him what he was doing here. Oh, you know, just walking my pet deer around as normal people usually do. He looked at the merchant. Hey, buddy, I don't know if you know this, but this place is haunted by demons and devils and jinn. Sometimes their kids are really small, too, and they're pretty touchy about you killing them by accident. The main bullet point here is that you shouldn't be hanging around this garden, the man with the deer said. The merchant explained that he was familiar with the clearing's many issues and went on to tell the man with the deer the whole story. And he must have done so by repeating the story word for word, with lots of extraneous detail because, just as the man with the deer vowed that he would see this through, they began to hear more rustling among the trees. And, back in King Ray's kingdom, story time was over for Shahrazad. It was morning. That raised more questions than it answered, King Ray spat in frustrated delight. He had to know more. Like what would happen to the merchant, who the guy with the deer was, and who was coming through the trees. He announced that Shahrazad could live another night to tell her stories. Shahrazad, though still shaken by the possibility of her execution, was relieved. She had lived another day. Mm-hmm.
husband and the increasingly less temporary wife's routine bedtime activities, Dinarzad, the queen's sister, who was apparently still staying in the room, begged Shahrazad to continue the story. The king nodded and grinned. He was so excited to see where this was going. Well, as it turned out, the person emerging from the forest was not the demon, but another man, out on a walk with his pets. This time, they were two hounds. Look at this guy, the man with the deer said. Who walks dogs? Bizarre. It's actually way more normal than walking a deer, the merchant said. Nope, it's weird, he's weird, the guy with the pet deer insisted. Hey, you guys know that demons hang out here, right? The man with two hounds said. Yes, we're really aware of that, the two replied. And again, the merchant told his story to the stranger, probably adding a whole B-plot about his business and such, until, from the trees, they heard a third old man approach, not walking anything. He, too, got the full story from the merchant. All three men vowed to stay in the clearing and see how this played out, mainly because they cared about the merchant, but also mainly because it was the medieval world and boring. And if a demon's going to execute a guy and they didn't have anything else going on, they might as well stick around. Just then, dust kicked up from the desert. When it cleared, he was standing there among them, the demon brandishing his steel sword over his head. He strode over to the merchant and asked if the man was ready to die. The merchant was about to say that, if he was being quite honest, no, he wasn't ready. But the three old men beat him to the reply. They were wailing. They had really become invested in this story over the course of the afternoon, and they all held the man close as the demon raised his sword. And it was morning for Shahrazad and King Ray. The king was suspicious that the story ended the same way it had on the first night. But since he guessed that they could only circle back to the demon about to execute the merchant so many times, he had a good feeling about the story. Reading the room, Shahrazad piped up and said that tomorrow was going to be even better. Tomorrow was a story within a story. It was like Inception, and only that way. The king squealed and said that he loved Inception. Tomorrow was going to be awesome. King Ray treated the vizier kindly, and the vizier, happy for a break from executing innocent young women, began to grow hopeful about his daughter's fate. That night, once everyone was settled in, Dinarzad begged Shahrazad to continue the story, and the king eagerly agreed. Back in the story, the demon was about to strike down the merchant when the man with the pet deer had an idea. He leapt to his feet and said, Fiending king of demon kings, I have an offer. The demon paused. What do you have in mind? Well, I have a pet deer. You probably want to know why, right? The man said. Yeah, I guess that's weird. Why do you have it? The demon asked. If you give up a third of your claim on this man, then I'll tell you the story behind this deer. It's a good one, too. Hmm, the demon thought about it. Yeah, okay, whatever. I still get to kill two-thirds of him, so that's a fair deal. So what's up with the deer? The old man with the deer began his story within a story within a story. The deer, as it turned out, was his cousin. She had been a human once, and while she was a human, she had also been his wife. They had married and lived together happily for 30 years, but they didn't have any kids. So the man took up a mistress. Whoa, you cheated on your wife of 30 years? The demon said, breaking into the story. Even I think that's golden, I'm a demon. Well, the man continued, there's likely some context that would make this culturally acceptable because the mistress lived with us. It was such a happy little family. For me. Not so much for her. Right, honey? The deer rolled its eyes and ate a little grass. It was made all the worse when the mistress became pregnant with a son. The four lived under the same roof for ten years, and the son was the pride of the father, 
But then, the father had to go away on business, and he left the mistress and their son in the care of his wife of now 40 years. So I'm going to go ahead and say you shouldn't cheat on your spouse. You shouldn't. But if you do, it's a very bad idea to leave both the mistress and the child under the care of the wronged party for an entire year. Because, of course, that gave the wife ample time to learn soothsaying and magic. Not like Dumbledore-level magic, but some baseline transmogrification. Enough to turn the now 11-year-old son into a bull. Since it's way easier and less suspicious to sell livestock than children, the wife had no problem giving their farmer a great deal on a bull to pull his plow. The cousin wife was practical. Why learn even more magic when this had worked so well? She turned the mistress into a cow and kept her in their herds. When the husband returned, the wife apologized to him. While he was away, she said the mistress had unexpectedly died. This was the Middle Ages. That happened. A lot. The son, so saddened about his mother, the young man ran away. The wife had been searching for him. Really hard. But nope, no word. Let's just get on with our lives. But the husband couldn't. He mourned his mistress and son for another year, until it was time for a feast. When the feast came around, the wife knew just the fattened cow they should slaughter. Do cows cry this much when they're about to die? The husband asked as he held a knife to the cow's throat. It was weird. The cow was sobbing and the husband was finding it pretty difficult to kill a cow when it was looking at him and crying. So he put away the knife and asked his wife to find a different cow. The wife refused. She said that they didn't have a better cow. Do it. Now. But the husband just couldn't. So he called the butcher to do it for him. He left the sobbing cow that had once been the woman he loved. A few minutes later, it was done. But this was no normal cow. The butcher was puzzled. The cow didn't have any meat on it, but it was just bones and blood. It was like a big cow balloon, but way messier. The husband was confused, but the wife could only smile. Oh, that cow is a dud? Hmm. She knew of another one. A bull. It would be perfect. When the bull saw the husband, it rushed to his feet, weeping and bowing and nuzzling him like a giant horned cat. Okay, this is weird, the husband said. And even though the wife pressed the knife in his hand and insisted that the bull be slaughtered, he relented this time, saying that he had the cow killed for nothing. He wouldn't do the same with the bull. But the wife said no. He had to. And so he took up the knife, because Shahrazad's life literally depended on a sawed cliffhanger. Back in the bedchamber, it was now morning, and it was getting easier and easier for the king to keep delaying her execution. The next night, they all sat down once again to hear the story. Shahrazad said that they would find out what happened to the bull and the merchant, but that will be right after this. Wait, you sold ad space in these stories? The king interrupted. Yeah, Shahrazad replied. It's the Middle Ages and books aren't cheap. And I have to spend all day reading and finding an interesting way to retell these stories so I don't die. Fair enough, the king said. Who do we have? Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Oh, that was it? So, back to the story about the man with the deer? King Ray asked. Back to the man with the deer, Shahrazad said. He was explaining to the demon why he was killing his son who was a bull. But he didn't. He relented at the last minute and refused. He ignored his wife's demands and sent the bull away with the farmer, away from the woman who really, really wanted it dead. Hey, so I have great news. I think, the farmer said as he returned to the man the next day. The bull, it's your son. My daughter is trained in soothsaying and magic like your wife. They were in the same class over at the community college. But yeah, she told me to let you know that your son can be changed back. Oh, and your mistress was actually the blood balloon cow from the other day. So yeah, she's dead. Sorry, I should have prepped you for that. Oh, you fainted. Okay, I'll wait. When the man regained consciousness, he rushed over to the farmer's house and saw his son sitting there patiently in the house and also still a bull. He threw his arms over the young former man and wept, and then turned to the soothsayer, asking if it was possible for his son to be returned to him. She smiled. It was possible. For a price. He rolled his eyes. What was it? First, she demanded that she be married to the once and future young man. Two, she didn't want any pesky stepmoms with her freshman-level magic poking around their house. Something had to be done about her. Kill her? Yeah, okay, said the man. Wait, what? Seriously? No, that's dark. No, let's just give her a bit of her own transmogrifying. How's turning her into a deer sound? They're quiet, graceful. And when was the last time you saw a sinister-looking doe? Am I right? The amateur soothsayer said. The man shrugged. Ten minutes later, he had a son who was no longer a bull and a wife who was now a deer. It had been a busy week. And that's how his story ended. The wife frolicked around the yard, and his son was happy with the farmer's daughter. Until she died. He traveled far and wide, and the man was actually going to go visit him with his pet deer cousin wife until he ran into the sad traveler and heard his story. So yeah, that's it. Hmm. Kind of petered out toward the end, the demon said. But a deal's a deal. And what kind of demon would I be if I didn't keep a deal except every kind of demon? One third of this man's offense has been wiped clean. Unluckily for him, though, my son is still dead. So if you don't mind, I have a guy to kill. Oh, I mind. The next guy piped up. He was the one with two black hounds with him. The demon sighed. Let me guess, you have a story too and want to trade it for another third. Yes, the man with the hound said. If you find it stranger and more amazing than this merchant story, then you forgive a third of his transgressions. If I find it stranger and more amazing than a merchant on a business trip, the demon said, and did some quick arithmetic. Yep, killing one third of the merchant was still killing the merchant. All right. I got nothing else going on. Let's hear it, the demon said. And Shahrazad stopped there for the night. Basically, her plan kept working. Shahrazad kept overselling how interesting the following night's narrative would be, and King Ray kept buying it. So, the next night she continued. These two dogs, the man with the two dogs said, my older brothers. And he stood there waiting for a reaction. 
that he didn't get. What? The demon said. This guy's wife is now a deer. If you wanted me to be amazed by that detail, you should have gone first. What else do you have? Well, one day their dad died. He left them all 1,000 dinars. And with that money, they opened up three separate shops. I'm wondering why they opened up three competing shops in the same neighborhood instead of pooling their resources and opening up one shop. But they weren't. They thought it was a phenomenal idea. Well, two-thirds of them did. One sold his shop for 1,000 dinars, getting his exact investment back, and decided to enter the trading game. He bought a bunch of goods and left on a ship. He had all the disaster of Sinbad, with none of the luck. And soon the brother with the two dogs found a beggar poking around his store. About to refuse the stranger, the brother who would have the two dogs gasped, recognizing that this beggar was his brother who had left. Things were very much not going well for him. The man took a deep breath and paid his older brother to get a bath and some new clothes. He checked his books and saw that he had doubled his initial investment, and now he had 2,000 dinars. He gave his brother money to open a store and pretend as though he had never left. Seeing his family members' mistakes and saying, yes, me too, please, the other brother sold his shop and decided to go out trading as well. It went exactly as it had gone for the other brother, and he ended up back in the successful brother's store. Lather, rinse, repeat. Kind of literally, the brother was very stinky. They lived for six years together with their respective stores. Each year, the older brother's asking the younger brother to go on a trading journey with them, to which the younger replied, no, no, that's stupid. You guys lost everything twice, but even though the shop was turning a steady profit and he was comfortable, the youngest brother did want to see the world. In time, the two older siblings wore him down. And finally, he agreed to accompany them and asked about how much money they had. They looked at each other. About that. In six years, their shops had made a profit. And the two older brothers had burned through that profit with terrible business decisions. Food, drink, you name it. The younger brother had amassed 6,000 dinars. while the two older ones barely had their initial investment. Still, brother enabler, as I'm going to call him from now on, divided up his money between them. They shut up their shops and they each had 3,000 dinar apiece. It was time to see the world. But that would have to wait until the next night. King Ray cursed. Realizing that the sun was rising, Queen Shaharazad and her sister silently celebrated a whole week of her being the king's wife, the longest anyone had lasted in years. Like the past week, this story continued that night. The brother's trading trip getaway went well. Turns out, when you actually try to make money and not just drink and burn through it, business trips go a lot better. The youngest brother was now making 10 dinars for every one he spent. The older two brothers had the philosophy that you had to spend money to make money, and while they were amazing at the former, they were pretty terrible at the latter, and began to grow jealous of their little brother. The jealousy only grew worse when their younger brother met someone. She was a beggar in the streets, and told him to ignore her appearance. If she had the opportunity to clean up, dress in fancy clothes, and become super rich, she would be much more appealing. The brother narrowed his eyes at her description of everyone, but shrugged. She seemed nice. Might as well marry her. And his business luck carried over into relationship luck. They were extremely happy, and she traveled with the brothers. But finally, it was too much. And the older brothers couldn't take the younger's responsibility and happiness any longer. Their little brother trusted them completely, so much so that they knew the location of his lockbox. One night, while he was sleeping with his new wife, the older brothers threw the couple overboard. 
hey, yeah, what's up? Oh, this, the younger brother's wife asked, pointing out her horrifying appearance. Yeah, I'm a she-demon, but for once, that's a good thing. I just saved our lives, she said proudly. The younger brother excused himself to vomit up some seawater and then turned to his surroundings. They were sitting on a beach and his clothes were soaked through. The demon stood up and announced that she would find the brother's boat, sink them, and kill them. But brother enabler scrambled to his feet, asking her to reconsider. Okay, we talked about this, honey, the demon said. You're not doing them any favors, funding their self-destruction. That's all you've done for years. Give them the means to destroy themselves. Let me destroy them, right now. But brother enabler begged her not to destroy them. She sighed, fine, whatever. She wouldn't kill them. Brother enabler paused, but that's, okay, there are still a lot of bad things you can do to someone and not kill them. And I feel like I'm a demon, she said. I won't kill them. I may be married to you, but don't push your luck. Okay, fine, fair enough, brother enabler said. And as soon as he finished his sentence, he was standing on his roof, back at home. Days later, his wife, back in her human disguise, brought two dogs up to the house, saying that they were the brothers. They had to spend 10 years in this form. And while they were animals, and Brother Enabler had to look after them and clean up after them, they were also dogs now, so at least they couldn't bankrupt him as well. Back in the clearing with the merchant and the demon, Brother Enabler announced that it was now 10 years later and he was bringing the hounds to be changed back into human form. So, yeah. Great story, right? He said to the demon. Uh, I don't know, the demon said. What? It had a whole redemptive arc and everything, Brother Enabler said. Did it, though? The demon asked. I'm gonna say it. It feels a bit hacky to have another animal transformation of an annoying family member. I like that the demon was the hero. Felt a bit like pandering to your audience, but it absolutely worked. So sure, one-third of his transgressions are gone. Unfortunately, one-third dead is still dead, so if you'll excuse me, I'm going to make this guy dead. And the demon raised his sword for the same cliffhanger ending for the third time. The following night, the story resumed, and the third man piped up and tried to make the same deal to completely wipe away the merchant's death sentence. And the demon lowered his sword, saying that it had to be a great story. It not only had to outdo the story of a merchant on a business trip, but the other two as well, combined. Cut to an hour later, the demon sat there spellbound. Wow. Yeah, that story lived up to the hype. It was amazing. The demon put his sword away and said that the merchant could go free. He disappeared into a nightcrawler-style puff of brimstone and the three men celebrated. What? We don't get to hear the third story? King Ray said, outraged. But that was the best story, they even said so. You really wrote a check that, narratively, you couldn't cash. Oh, the story was good, but it's not nearly as good as the story of the fisherman, Shahrazad said, with a smirk. I feel like you're pivoting, King Ray said, but I'm okay with that. Okay, I'll bite. Ha, we have a few hours. What's the story of the fisherman? The fisherman was not having a good week. Everything that he had caught over the past few days sat on the shore. Some broken pottery, a glass full of mud, and a chest. He was excited about the chest, but saw that someone had killed and mutilated a donkey and thrown it into a chest, 
which is somehow more psychotic than just killing and mutilating a donkey. You hide it in such a way that someone thinks they're getting a fun surprise, but it's not a fun surprise. The fishermen collapsed on the coast and cried out to God. Seeing that God served Moses with the sea, why not him? He wasn't asking God to part it or anything, just for some fish, instead of surprised donkey corpses. He threw his net out one more time and it got stuck. He looked down into the sea and there at the bottom, he could see that there was a big glass jar pinning the net to the rocks. Hoping it wasn't full of sand or donkey bits, the fisherman dove down and praying for strength, he was able to heft it to the surface. Looking at the jar, he rejoiced. It looked expensive. The jar alone would get him a couple measures of wheat at the market, but he had to know what was inside. He cracked open the seal and tried to shake out the contents, but it was empty. The fisherman shrugged. It wasn't ideal, but it was still better than nothing. He gathered his things and turned back to the jar, and that's when he saw that it was smoking. A pillar of smoke was rising from the jar and filling the sky and beach all around him. Soon, he stood shrouded in darkness, seeing only two red, glowing eyes amid the haze. The face boomed and bellowed, and the fisherman could see his fangs through the smoke. The creature was crying out to King Solomon, asking for forgiveness for defying the ancient king's command. The fisherman looked around at the seal on the ground. It was the seal of King Solomon, used to bind demons. He knew about it because he had listened to episode 61 of Myths and Legends. The fisherman, though, wasn't King Solomon and didn't have the old king's ring. And now the demon that Solomon had sealed was loose. And that's where we're going to leave it for tonight, Shahrazad said as the sun rose. King Ray thought about it. Yeah, okay, he wouldn't kill her. Sure, it was the same basic story as the last time, but King Ray was eager to hear how this one would end. He said Shahrazad could live for one more day. Back in the story, the fisherman piped up. Uh, hi, unnamed fisherman character. The fisherman introduced himself. Yeah, so Solomon is dead. Probably the most dead. It's been like 3,000 years since he walked the earth. You're good. Really? The demon said. Yep, yep, the fisherman replied. I guess it means you're off the hook. That's actually really funny. I'm a fisherman, so you know what? Neither here nor there. Well, that's amazing news. Thank you. Now, how would you like to die? The demon asked. I'm, what, pardon? The fisherman asked. Yeah, how would you like to die? The demon asked again. Okay, I just gave you great news, the fisherman said, bewildered. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that I'm giving you a choice. How do you want to go? Look, when I was first in prison, I spent 200 years saying that whoever released me, I would make him rich. Then another 200 years passed, and I was still going to make the person rich, but maybe not as rich. Then I was going to grant wishes. Fast forward a few hundred more years, and I was just mad and decided that I'd kill the first person I saw. I didn't know if it would make me feel better, but worth a shot, right? Because, as it turns out, extreme isolation for centuries on end doesn't make you want to burst out of there like the genie from Disney's Aladdin with quips and impressions. No, I'm just super angry. Wait, how are you referencing a movie that won't come out for another 1,000 years? The fisherman asked. No one ever questioned how he did it. Anyway, you made the mistake of being born a few hundred years too late. He caught me in a bad mood. So, how do you want to go? The demon asked again. The fisherman begged him not to. But the demon wasn't having any of that. The fisherman tried to make a deal, appeal to logic, and find some way out. But the demon was resolute. Finally, his shoulders slumped. The fisherman said that God had brought him here, and God would save him. Then, the fisherman had an idea. He narrowed his eyes, 
and looked down at the jar. Nope. Nope, not buying it, he said. Not buying what? the demon asked. Not buying that you fit in the jar. You're big and smoky. I mean, your eyes alone are bigger than the jar. I think you're lying to me. You just appeared after I opened the jar, and you're trying to use that as an excuse to take out your aggression on me. Anyway, there's no way you could fit in there. Human person, I'm a demon. Being evil to strangers is my prerogative. I don't need a reason. The fisherman rolled his eyes. Whatever helps you feel better, stupid liar. Wait, wait, what'd you say? The demon asked. Well, I'm gonna die anyway. I said you're a liar. You couldn't fit in that jar if you wanted to, the fisherman said. Fine, here, watch me, the demon said. And it was like the jar was sucking the smoke back in until the fisherman heard from inside the jar the small voice of the demon saying, see, he can fit back in the jar. Oh, oh, I see what was happening. Major oversight on my part. As soon as the smoke disappeared back into the jar, the fisherman dove for the lid and slammed it on. The fisherman then looked down at the jar and said that he would give the demon the same kindness. How did he want to die? Ha, just kidding. He was just going to chuck the thing back in the ocean and maybe put up a sign here, warning people about the mean demon jar. Okay, 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 whoa, the demon said from inside the jar. Hey, so let me out. I can grant wishes. I mentioned the wish thing, right? I'll be in a better mood. I'll do manic pop culture references and everything, the demon pleaded. But the fisherman sat down. Please, this was just like the story of King Yunin and the sage Dubin. Oh, who are they? Wait, are we in a framing narrative too? The demon asked. Maybe legitimately curious, maybe stalling for time. And the fisherman confirmed that, yes, they are also part of a framing narrative and launched into another story. So, you can see how this is going to work for Shahrazad. Basically, she always has some irons in the fire. I was joking when I mentioned Inception, but it's actually kind of like that. She has stories within stories, so that when one ends, it can be picked back up by another character and another story. She always kind of has a failsafe against a story ending, because if they end at the wrong time, her story might end as well. The next morning, Shahrazad sat back as the king decided her fate, as he did every day, and he told her that she would live one more day to tell him more stories, as he also had done every day. Even though she had confidence in her ability, she still got anxious every time she saw him thinking about it, wondering how it could be so easy for him to sentence someone he had shared a bed with to death. Still, it didn't matter. She couldn't dwell on it. Her every effort, her every thought, had to go into crafting stories to make every story better and more interesting than before. Or else it could be her last. She left the palace and returned to her family's house that morning to her books, to keep studying and preparing for the night ahead. And that's where we're going to leave Shahrazad and the king for now. We're going to revisit the pair from now on when we tell a story from 1001 Nights. At the end of our story today, we're about 12 nights in. It's 11 nights longer than anyone else had lasted, but Shahrazad still had a long, long road ahead. Next week, we'll be talking about the surprisingly different original stories of the three bears and the three little pigs. The three bears, as it turns out, are the nicest characters in all of folklore. And if you've ever heard The Three Little Pigs and thought, hey, this story needs more dismemberment, well, no worries. The 1800s have you covered. I want to say thanks to Kazaa83, Blah1234567889, Webhead808, Name It Later, I Love Maths, Alana.A, Wild Kitten 101 Abart96, 
Alex Girl123, Maureen KB, Electric Kisser, Kathsa Oz, Vinny K2406, Noomzy, Georgie802, Vintage M, Love Blue Pie, Watso, and Bass Ninja for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to leave a review or tell a friend about the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a 2018 Goats and Trees calendar, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that only have, like, one goat in them. If you want to look at Goats and Trees for a year, or if you've ever thought to yourself, these trees are nice, but they have so few goats in them. Well, there you go. The calendar is probably for you. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Azukiarai from Japanese folklore. It literally means the bean washer because he washes beans in the river. This hunched little man will scrub his beans in the stream while singing his favorite song, a number one hit song among bean-related Japanese mythological creatures. It goes like this. Should I wash my Azuki beans or should I snatch a person to eat? Now, if I have any Azukiarai listening, we humans, we're not so tasty, I imagine. Certainly not as delicious as your plain, unseasoned, uncooked beans. We're high in cholesterol and just annoying to chase after and catch. And you already went grocery shopping, so just enjoy your beans. I do hear, though, that the threat to eat humans is a complete bluff on his part, because unlike almost every other mythological creature in the forest, the bean washer's words are actually an empty threat. If you're walking along and hear those words and, and you go towards those words, first, what's wrong with you? And second, those words will have an effect on you. The closer you get to them, the more disoriented you'll feel, until you get too close, lose your footing, and fall into the river. The bean washer, instead of eating you, will just laugh at you while he eats his beans. Still, with one creature who wants to play pranks on you compared to so many others who actually want to eat you, just don't follow that voice into the forest. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.